It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. You're welcome to sing along. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so... Let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, might as well say, Would you be mine? Could, Could you be, be mine? mine? Won't you be, be my neighbor? neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you, won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? neighbor? And so we're neighbors again today. I'm glad to be with you. You can keep going. <laughs> wow. So I hadn't even tried the sweater on. <laughs> I'm not sure it really fits. <laughs> what does that say? I don't know. Is it inside out? Is it okay? The zipper's backwards for me. You should always try. You think that's, do you think this is, is it a woman's sweater? <laughs> Well, that would explain. <laughs> I'm going to go home, I think. I got... oh. So we had this idea, and so I went to Goodwill the other day to try to find a cardigan sweater, and I, I, I couldn't find one, and I went by uh, Kohl's, and I, I couldn't find anything that worked. So I thought, oh, just go through the closet, and here this was. And it had like a little tag on it. I'm like, oh, Susan bought me something years ago that I've never, ever worn. So that's what I figured it was. But Susan, is it, could this be yours? <laughs> anyway, this is the closest I'm, we're, we're getting. A, hey, listen, when you think about Mr. Rogers, um, and people actually have been thinking about Mr. Rogers more recently, uh, a documentary that was relatively successful for documentaries this, this past summer, and lots of people found it very engaging and um, moving in a, in a significant way. There's a new biography, a significant biography. It's not a short book about Mr. Rogers that was just published earlier this year. And next year, uh, there's going to be a feature film released in theaters with Tom Hanks starring as Mr. Rogers. Uh, the truth is, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, particularly preschool years, which I don't really remember very much about, um, Mr. Rogers was not a part of our world or part of our lives. I was raised on cartoons, and that was about children's programming. Uh, we, we had a couple of special programs in Chicago, but there wasn't very much. But by the time I was in my middle elementary years, I remember hearing the name of Mr. Rogers for the first time and, uh, and grew up. Uh, through adolescence into adulthood with awareness. Some of you, however, actually watched Mr. Rogers as a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Truth is, um, I probably joked about Mr. Rogers if I talked about him at all. Um, and we'd sing the song in a jesting way. Uh, but what comes to mind when you think about Mr. Rogers? Kindness? Can't hear you. Slow pace. 
Listening. That's what I'm trying to do right now. Caring. Okay. Gentle. Puppets. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was that? Safe. Yeah. Yeah. So. A teacher. Yes. So here's two things that come to my mind. They're really simple. Number one is the word children. Okay, Mr. Rogers was all about kids and trying to communicate with them in a way actually that was so counterintuitive. There was nothing great about the production value of what he did. It was so simple. It was so low budget. It was it's mind boggling that it lasted for decades, Um, but it worked with kids. The second thing is, and it's profoundly based on the title of the program and also just the song we heard that actually Mr. Rogers wrote. And I think of the word neighbor. And that's what we want to spend a little time talking about today and next Sunday and the following Sunday. And uh, believe me, I'm feeling like tight right now in this sweater. So likely I will return just to fully being my own persona next, uh, next Sunday. But um, I want to talk about neighbors with you. And there are some reasons, and we'll get to them in, in a few moments. But uh, the song is real simple. You probably could sing it. Won't You Be My Neighbor is, um, is it, it goes like this. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. Truth is, if we sang that to our neighbors, it it wouldn't work very well. But it works really well in the context of that song, raising up just the idea of neighborhood, a community, a safe, welcoming place, and someone who actually cares about other people. Children, in this case. Children, we're all about children, and yet it's also very possible to totally ignore children, especially as adults. Um, especially kids who aren't ours. And Mr. Rogers uncovered some of that. Um, Any of you know the name Arvada, Colorado? Yeah, some of you do. And in this church, some people know because former pastor Wes Swanson years ago left here to go to a covenant church in Arvada, Colorado. Well, in more recent years, it's a a Detroit suburb, just to the north of Detroit, of Detroit, Denver, Colorado, sorry. And... um, a couple of years ago, a group of pastors started meeting together in Arvada. And they were pastoring lots of different churches. I don't know quite how large the group was. But they started meeting together, talking together, dreaming together, and praying together about how could we have a significant impact on, on the world around us, on our community, on our town. They talked together. They brainstormed. They, they read things. They prayed together. Um, And as they continued to meet regularly, once a month, they started inviting community leaders to come in and talk to them, just to give them an idea of what they saw Arvada was experiencing, what life was like on Arvada, on the ground, or uh, from, from the perspective of someone with responsibility for the community. And they would ask them questions, what could we as pastors do, what could we as churches do to make a difference in our community? And they'd end up talking about lots of different things with lots of different ideas. But um, eventually, the guy who actually came and visited them was the mayor of Arvada. And uh, he talked for a while, and they asked him 
when you dream about what you would really love to see in Arvada, if you could wave a magic wand and just make things the, the way you'd want them to be, um, what do you see? He said, well, I see a, a community um, with no elderly people who are totally on their own, forgotten and ignored by the people around them. And I see a community where there are no single moms who are struggling to really just be able to survive and pay enough and, and make it through the day to get their kids through life. And on and on, he, he, he ticked off various characteristics. But then he finally just put it like this, as I asked him one more time, so what could we do, though? They're writing down all these notes. What, what do you think we could do? And he said, boy, if, if there was one thing churches could help with, it would be this, to start some kind of neighboring movement. I don't know if you've ever really heard that phrase or that word even before, neighboring, neighboring movement. But they, they cued in on it right away. And as he left and they talked more, they actually felt both excited and ashamed. Excited because <laughs> that seems so closely tied to our faith as Christians, particularly the life that God calls us to live in response to his goodness and his grace to us but also ashamed because of a sense that maybe we as Christians don't really make that much of a difference in our world in terms of the kinds of things the mayor was talking about. Well, some of the leaders who were part of that group a short while later brought in another community leader and she laid this on them. She said, "I, I just need to let you know that As we look at our city, as we look at neighborhoods, as we try to be aware of what's going on, um, we don't really see any difference between Christians and non-Christians in the way people relate to their neighbors. And once again, it was like uh, a gut-wrenching word for those pastors to hear. So, you mean, when people think about Christians, they don't automatically think that we actually care more about our neighbors, that we're more welcoming or more loving of the people around us. And the woman said, no, no. And uh, the guys who led that particular group in Arvada have continued to work with this. They've traveled the country. They've met with different groups all around the country. And they've, never, they've actually never heard community leaders say Christians and their neighborhoods on average care about their neighbors more than non-Christians. And yet, when you hear that, you can try it on for size, um, but I have a feeling it's relatively true. Um, I think it's overwhelmingly true because of how most of us, most Americans at least, live their lives. And we fit right in with general patterns. It's, it's not that we're trying to be uncaring. It's not that we don't Nothing matters to us. It's just so easy to miss what's going on. See, well, tell you what, I want to I read some scripture with you. And I think that will help us get a sense of why this is important. I, I really want to think with you about these words and the call to, well, that neighbor thing. Let's try to find some words for it. The passage we're going to look at this morning is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. 
And the truth is, these are pretty familiar words. Most of you have heard the story before. Most of you have probably heard it many times in your lives. Most of you could probably more or less tell the story. Um, especially the story within a story, but we're going to read these words together right now. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we listen to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and following. It reads like this. On one occasion, as an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, uh, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? The lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to keep that open. I'd, I'd like us to keep that, those words up um, from this passage. I, I just want to go over the scene. Jesus had these occasions where he would be teaching, and it appears he was speaking to a group of people. And um, they, they probably were all seated in this setting. And at a particular point, one guy stood up. And the guy was, um, uh, he was a, a teacher, he was a, um, a student, he was uh, not, not like a student, a student of authority. He was a student of the law. He really was probably, in our terms, a lawyer. But not necessarily in our terms, a lawyer. He was, in the Jewish community, a lawyer in terms of God's law. And overwhelming, that meant being an expert in the Torah. What earlier this year we experienced in our church is beginnings. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. To be an expert in Torah meant to know the stories and to understand the meaning of who God is and God's people Israel. The story of their slavery, the story of being chosen, the story of their slavery, the story of being set free through the leadership of, of Moses. But not just a story, in the law, Torah, there are laws. And understanding God's will and God's direction in terms of how this community should live. How this community should act in in relationship to God, but in relationship to each other. And to those who are strangers and those who live nearby, who aren't even part of the community. In our terms, again, if we're going to sum it up, even though this doesn't say everything, we, we would go to Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, to the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, an image in the form of anything. 
You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. He was an expert in those things. But being an expert, he came and he wasn't entirely sure what he thought of Jesus. And so the story says, on one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Teacher, how is it that I'm going to be a part of, I'm going to belong in the new world that, that, you are going to, that God is going to create? How will I be a part of that new world that's coming? And Jesus said to him, well, you're the expert in the law, buddy. <laughs> What's written in the law? How do you read it? When you read the law, when you read Torah, what do you think it says in answer to this question? And the lawyer said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? Here's the thing. It's not totally unknown and yet nobody else but Jesus that we're aware of had ever put Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 9, those two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all you have and all you are, with the whole of yourself. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's kind of a a paraphrase of love the Lord your God with all you are, all that you have within you. Love him. Do you get the sense of the, the depth The deepness. It's it's not a superficial life with God. It's a deep life with God that Torah is talking about there. Jesus had grabbed those important words out of the Shema, Yisrael, the the holy words of the the Jewish faith, and he coupled them with a phrase used a couple times, particularly in Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus had put these together and said, this is the great commandment. And it's really possible, actually, that this lawyer had heard Jesus before. He'd heard what Jesus was teaching and saying, and he actually spoke back to Jesus what he had heard had been Jesus teaching before. And he answered correctly. He answered correctly out of Torah, and he also answered correctly in light with what Jesus was saying was the truth, and Jesus was saying was so so excellent. And if you're just about being a good student and having the right answer... This lawyer got it. He was trying to test Jesus, but Jesus turned it on him quickly and everybody came out okay. And so Jesus responded, you've answered correctly. Now do this and you will live. When things get so clear and the word comes back to us quickly, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Well, you want to know how to inherit eternal life? Here's what life is about. Simply live it. You do it. And the lawyer knew there were some issues and there was some struggle and he was already feeling a little burning conscience going on and he wasn't comfortable with the situation. So he wanted to give just a little pushback to Jesus. He wanted to justify himself. You know what he was really looking for? He was looking for some loopholes. My sweater right now is really, really tight. Okay? I feel like I'm in a long-term little test for my blood pressure right now. These arms, okay? 
that to, to, to loosen things up a little bit makes us more comfortable. And this man was looking to loosen things up a little bit because he was uncertain. Not just about his love for God, but his love for others. And so, particularly that last commandment, he, he wanted to justify himself. He was looking for a loophole, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, Jesus, I got it. I, I need to love God um, with all I have, and I need to love my neighbor as myself. But Jesus, there's a lot of people around here. There's a lot of people close by. Who is my neighbor? Because... Obviously, they're not all my neighbor. And so Jesus told the story, and you know it. A guy traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, downhill, significantly downhill, about a 17-mile journey with a drop of about 3,300 feet. So they were below sea level at the the end of the journey, but started it somewhere around 2,500 feet elevation. 17 miles, but not just a paved road, okay? This is a twisty, turny road. And there were lots of rocks, large rocks around. And around the bend, again and again, it was an easy place to hide. Brigands. Robbers. People who worked on the road frequently hung out, not by themselves, but in groups, and they would go after people. When Jesus told the story, which we believe he made up, okay, it's an an illustration Nonetheless, anybody hearing it would have said, oh yeah, it would make all the sense in the world. In fact, into the 19th century, it was that way. In the 1930s, even when there were automobiles in Palestine, there were still warnings given about traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho because you might get waylaid and get into trouble. It's been that way for a long time. And this guy was traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho. He was making his way, and along the journey... He was attacked by robbers. They fell on him, and they took what he had. I don't know if he was totally naked, but they they, it says that. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and, and went away, and they left him half dead. It doesn't say they took any money. Well, listen, whatever money he had was in his clothes. It was taken. They they weren't just doing it for fun. They, they, were, they were trying to gain something from the experience. And so there he was. Here's this guy on the ground, left there. And what's going to happen? Because as, as frequent as it was to travel the road, nonetheless, back when, it wasn't, like, it wasn't like steady traffic. Sometimes it could be quite a while before someone would pass by. And it just so happened a little while later that a priest went by. Somebody like me. Someone who studies God's stuff, studies God's word, that people look to to help them be with God, a person who would lead the community in their life with God. You would hope, right, that someone like that, above all people, would, would stop to help. But the priest caught sight of him. In fact, I almost get the sense that the priest was walking along a path that took him right, would have taken him right next to the man, But he saw him, he sighted him, and he moved over to the other side of the road. You ever walk over to the other side of the road to avoid something? I do sometimes. When I'm walking my dog and there's someone else coming with the dog, sometimes I think, you know what, it's just going to be smoothest if I walk in this side and you walk in this side. Sometimes it's good to have distance. It seems so rational and, and just smart 
And that's what the priest did. And he just went on his way. Hmm, So much for Jewish religious leaders. Oh, let's give him another chance. A little while later, a Levite came along. A Levite wasn't quite a priest, but nonetheless, like an assistant to a priest. Okay? A vice priest. Uh, Just there along, there to help out. Still highly valued in the community. And this guy, it seems like, was coming along and he actually came a little closer and looked just a bit. Half dead, by the way, isn't dead. It doesn't take much to tell that someone's breathing and bleeding. But he took sight and he moved along. It doesn't tell us why. There's lots of different ideas or theories about why a priest and why a Levite might not have wanted to get anywhere close. Priests weren't supposed to touch dead bodies. They would become unclean. They would become ceremonially incapable of doing what they did as a job. Except that he wasn't dead. So, and sometimes it's not so much that we all have different motivations sometimes for avoiding things. Whatever the motivation was, these guys just did. Thankfully, a third person came along. And as Jesus was telling it, got to tell you, this was where he really, uh, this was the zinger in the story because this was the surprise moment. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. (laughs) In a Jewish setting, to say Samaritan was to say a swear word, okay? People hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews, but Jews hated Samaritans. They were persona non grata in the community. They wanted nothing to do with them. If a Jew saw a Samaritan coming, for sure they would have crossed to the other side of the road. They would have avoided them by any means, by all means. But in this story, here's a Jewish man. doesn't say it, but it goes without saying, okay? A Jewish man who was beaten and left by the side of the road. And two Jewish religious leaders see him and walk by and leave him. But a Samaritan sees and doesn't walk over to the other side of the road and doesn't hurry on his way. It says this, when he saw him, he took pity on him and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. Clearly, he got down. He got down to where the man was. He wasn't looking at a distance. He got close. He bandaged his wounds. Any of you carry uh, first aid equipment with you when you're just out during the day? I I bet somebody does. I bet somebody has first aid stuff in your car. I don't. I, I don't, I don't keep bandages in my briefcase or my backpack that I carry around town. So what did he make bandages from? The man had no clothes. So undoubtedly he had to take something he was wearing and take it off and rip it up and use those for bandages. He had along with him some oil and some wine. Possibly the wine also was ultimately for his own um, comfort, something to drink. But he took that oil and that wine possibly together and he poured it into the wounds of the man. Wine as a disinfectant oil as something to relieve pain and discomfort. And then what did he do next? He put the man on his own donkey. Possibly the man had been riding. Now, for sure, if he had been, he was no longer. 
he lifted this man up and he put him on a donkey and he walked with him to an inn and he took care of him. What's that mean he took care of him? It means he didn't go to the inn and drop him off. Hey, he didn't just leave a body there. <laughs> Knock on the door and, and leave. He, he knocked on the door. He talked to the innkeeper. And he said, here's a man. I need a place for him. And he spent the night there. And he nursed him. And he took care of him. And he watched over him. And then the next day when it was time, he took out what money he had. And he gave him two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you. I will pay you for whatever it costs for you to take care of him. And Jesus asked the question at the end of the story. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law almost choked. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say the whole thing. He says, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't quite bring himself to say the Samaritan. Because that just, he couldn't, he, he couldn't, he didn't want to say that. So he just said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want you to think for a minute about the lawyer's question. I want you to think about Mr. Rogers' question. I want you to think about Jesus' question for a moment. Here's the lawyer's question. And who is my neighbor? Which neighbors? Which people? Jesus, I'm supposed to love my neighbors. Which? You get the implication? Not everybody is my neighbor. I don't need to worry or care about everybody. I need to be worried or concerned about some. I just want to know which ones. He already had a good idea. Jews, for sure, and not non-Jews. Not Gentiles, not Samaritans, for sure. But probably not even all Jews. Okay? That was in his mind. Which neighbors? Here's Mr. Rogers' question. It's a perfectly good question. It's a very inviting question. Um, I still don't think I'd use that on my neighbor. Will you be my neighbor? I don't think I'll use that on, on the guy who lives next door. But, but, um, but, but there's something wonderful in the song about Mr. Rogers' question. Will you be my neighbor? Perfectly appropriate. But again, that's not Jesus' question. Jesus asks the guy at the end of the story. He flips the guy's question. He says, which neighbors? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus flips it and he says, who is the neighbor? Once upon a time, at the beginning of the story, it's, a neighbor is an objective thing out there. A, a neighbor is someone I love. Is that my neighbor? I need to love my neighbor. Is that person not my neighbor? I don't need to worry about that person. Okay, That's the, the, A neighbor is out there, but Jesus makes it subjective. Am I a neighbor? Who's a neighbor? Am I a neighbor? The, the mayor of Arvada, when he was talking to these guys said this, you know, when people have problems in our community, they come to us and they are always looking and we do what we can. They want programs. People want programs and that's what governments do. Whether they're little local governments or big federal governments, it's all about programs. And programs are necessary at some level. We, we, life doesn't work in a gargantuan level with 330 million people or, or 25,000 people in a town without programs and, and governance and what have you. But he said, people are always looking for programs. But I'll tell you what Trump's programs every time, it's relationships. 
So you really want to know what churches could do to make a difference in their town or in their community or in their world? It would be to help Christians in churches act like neighbors. Wow. Now, when you walked in, did you see receive a messenger? Can you, can you look at that? I think there's an insert in there. And I amazingly walked up here without one. Is there an extra one? Messenger and back. Are they all gone? Is there an insert? Colorful insert. Ah, there it is. Okay, I'm going to hand this thing right here. Okay? There's, I should have told you, there's space to note take here on the back. But this side, just as a diagram, it's kind of like a tic-tac-toe uh, grid. Okay? But we're calling it, who is my neighbor? And there you are in the middle. Give it back to you. And this is a real simple experiment. If you have a pen or a pencil, I'd like you to try to do this. But if you don't, I still want you to do it. I want you to do it mentally. Okay? And I know none of your neighborhoods look just like this. I get that. But on this tic-tac-toe bridge, uh, grid, there is you are, your, your home, your house, your apartment, your condo, whatever, is right in the middle. And I want you to think about the eight closest neighbors to you who, who live around you. And here's the question. If you, can, if you have something to write with, go for it. Um, and if you don't, think through it. But I want you to try to name the people who live in the eight closest homes or apartments or whatever to you. Okay? Think through that. I'm seeing some people who just moved to the community. That's kind of unfair. On the other hand, sometimes new people are better at this than people who have been around for a while, too. So, think about that. Um, And, and, and as, you're, as you're doing that, writing or thinking through it, I'm just going to tell you, when I first uh, was in a group, I, I actually was in a group reading a book uh, that's kind of engendered and helped me think through some of these things. And the book is called The Art of Neighboring. And uh, we were given what you were just given. And I was probably in a group of a dozen people, and we were asked to fill it out. And that's just, that's way too, you know, in your face. Okay, because we're, we're all in a little group and we're all going to share. And um, the truth is, I, I sh- surely did not know the names of the eight closest neighbors who lived to me. Um, I didn't. Um, and that, that was a great moment of pride. I felt really good about myself at that moment, right? <laughs> so I got a question. Hey, anybody know... All the names of, of the adults, okay, of, of all of the eight closest houses to you. Okay, maybe. I see a couple hands. Okay. So do you know what? If you want some comfort, we, we are very normal, okay? The majority of people, anybody name four? Can you name four? Okay, we, we do better there, all right? I think generally speaking, somewhere close to half of us maybe know about half of the, of the eight people who live closest to us. But the guy um, who kind of talked about this and led the meeting with the mayor in Arvada said he's actually never been anywhere where... Um, well, let me tell you, there's, there's three different levels, too. I want you to think about this for a minute. There's knowing a name... But then, could you tell us something about 
that individual. What do they do? Where did they grow up? Something about their family, their hobbies, something about them is a second level awareness. And then a third level awareness is what's a passion of that person? What do they really get excited about? Or what's one of the deepest issues or struggles in their life right now? And when you get to three levels deep with eight people living, eight households close to you, nobody in the universe has ever, ever done that. Okay? But here's the thing. Jesus told us to love our neighbors. And Jesus' story has been radically effective. Radically effective in changing our way of thinking about so many things. When the lawyer asked us 2,000 years ago, it was this. These people are my neighbors. These aren't. These are human beings I care about or I'm supposed to care about. But there are a whole bunch of people in God's eyes. He doesn't care if I care about them at all. I don't need to know them. I don't need to pay attention to them. If they're hurt, it's not my problem. Okay? That was a normal way of thinking, even in Israel. And we don't think in those terms anymore. At least we don't say it out loud. We recognize we can't do everything, but we recognize there's not a class of people who are unimportant to God. And if we're God's people and he says, love our neighbors, there's something about loving everyone. And so here's the deal. The, ki- the, the parents of your, ki- uh, of your kids... Um, Uh, playmates or or teammates on their soccer team. Those parents are your neighbors. And the people all around you at work are your neighbors. And for those of you who've gone to Alaska in the last years or Guatemala, and you've gone on a missions trip, the people you've encountered are your neighbors. There's There's a real sense in which what Jesus was teaching is everyone is our neighbor. And we've embraced that. Who's my neighbor? Anybody. And we may even especially think the story of the Samaritans about two people who are different than each other and this guy's really beat up and hurt and the issues are obvious and so we, we think in terms of big issues and, and we think we're loving our neighbor and we are when we serve in some kind of specialized ministry. Maybe it's a ministry across town or ministering to a group of people who are not our immediate neighbors in our neighborhood. And we think that's what loving our neighbors is. And and it is. But in the process, do you know what we've lost sight of? The people God has placed us closest to. You didn't choose them. When you, probably when you bought your house, you might have been vaguely aware of the kind of people lived in the neighborhood. That might have mattered to you. But you probably didn't talk to the realtor. I'd like to meet the people who live in the homes closest, the eight closest households, because who is around me matters to me so much. I, the beautiful house, but I don't care. I need to know these people first. None of us did that, right? We don't think in those terms. But God has placed us where we are. And the great thing about the Samaritan was he illustrates so clearly walking along in life and seeing somebody and paying attention to somebody and taking note and knowing that God's plan for having an impact on the world includes followers of Jesus like you and me living out the great commandment of loving God with all we are but loving our neighbors as ourselves including our literal neighbors. Metaphorical neighbors are great. I love the world. You ever heard this statement? I love humanity. It's people I hate. You know, I, 
I love all the neighbors in the world. I care about human beings on the other side of the planet. But do I know anybody near me? No. So it makes so much... Here's where it starts. Getting to know somebody's name. It might be tough if you've lived somewhere for a long time and you actually don't know the name of the person across the street. But do you know, you know what, what you do? Can, can I try something? You just, you just go up and you say, Hey, this is so ridiculous. We've lived across from each other for the last five years and we wave every once in a while, but I don't know your name. Sorry, I'm Craig. Eric. Eric. Thanks. That's <laughs> so stupid, but I'm glad we got that done with, okay? Eric, have a great day. It's not very difficult. And it's a great deal to, it's so much better for me to see Eric across the street in the morning. Eric, have a great day. Then, bro. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, neighbor. You like that one? Hey, neighbor. Anybody ever use that? Please? Thank you. Okay. But to be able to say a name, and then, hey, Eric, uh, got plans this weekend. Um, I see, did I see your son move back in? How's that going? Just to be able to know and, and be able to take the conversation one step at a time, a little deeper, makes it possible for us actually to love the people God placed around us or the people he placed us in the midst of. I think we have these scriptures. I want to end with this. Um, but in Acts chapter uh, 17, Jesus is te- or Jesus, uh, Paul is, is communicating and teaching in Athens. He's talking to a, a very non-Jewish group of people. Um, and in verses 26 and 27, he says this. From one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Look at verse 26 again. Middle of the verse. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Talking about a community. But think about this. Um, It's even clearer in some other translations. The idea that we are where God wants us to be. He's placed us where we are. And if you think in those, in those terms again, that where your house is right now, where your apartment is, where your condo is, God has placed you there for a reason. And that reason isn't unrelated to Jesus' command. Love your neighbor. First Cove, Pastor Craig, God wants us to be neighbors. So our question is, Will I be your neighbor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We thank you for the wisdom and truth of your word. We thank you for the amazing storytelling of of, uh, ability of Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for the Good Samaritan and the vivid picture it gives of what you call us to in life. I pray that you help us care about all kinds of people in all kinds of places, but not at the expense of knowing the people that you've placed in immediate proximity to where we live. Help us 
get to know their names. Help us say hi. Help us talk. Help us to take some of our time, just like that Samaritan, to pay attention to the lives and the blessings and the needs of the people around us, many of whom desperately need to know you and won't know you without Jesus' people loving them. Thanks. We need your help. So help us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.